There are two Christmases. There is the Christmas we've been counting down to since the day after Thanksgiving. The one driven by lightning deals, frantic shopping, and frenzied parking lots. For most of us, this is the Christmas that has brought us this far. But there is another Christmas. One that we don't need to go searching for. One that comes to us whether we're prepared for it or not. This Christmas meets us no matter where we are and promises to lead us home. Tonight, the first Christmas is over. Tonight, it is time for the other Christmas to begin. So I invite you to enter into this sacred space, this holy night. I encourage you, seriously, to take a long, deep breath and embrace the peace of a midnight clear. Relax your neck and shoulders. The holiday rush is over. And the silent night has only just begun. Be free of the burden of making lists and checking them twice. Of making everyone's favorite cookies, jams, and treats. Of mailing all those cards. Of writing that annual letter. Of finding the perfect gift in the right size or with the right batteries. Instead, let your thoughts Turn to angels in the realms of glory. Look up and recapture the wonder of a star of royal beauty bright. The first Christmas is over. It is time for the other Christmas to begin. So let us listen. Let us realize the difference between two very different Christmases as Peter one of Jesus' first disciples one of the first apostles of the church unwraps for us the gift that is ours in the coming of Jesus Christ. I'd like to read to us from Peter's first letter to the church found in the Bible that's there in the pew. You're welcome to read along. If you don't have a Bible, please take the Bible that's there tonight as our gift to you or simply listen as we hear from 1 Peter. If you do follow, it's on page 850 in the pew Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances of which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're drawn here tonight for different reasons. Many have come by faith. Others have arrived because of tradition. Some have shown up out of a sense of nostalgia, nostalgia or a feeling of obligation. And perhaps there are even a few of us here tonight who don't know exactly why we're here. We've all been drawn here tonight for different reasons, yet what we all have in common is what we are being offered. The same gift given to all, whether a seeker, a skeptic, a rebel, or a disciple— In the coming of this child, unto us is given, as Peter has so eloquently shared with us, the birth of a living hope. And who among us is not looking for hope? Hope is one of our most basic human needs. Is there anyone who would not welcome a little more hope in this life? We all have something, a wish, a desire, a dream, For which we long to happen. The hope of the Christmas out there is pinning our hopes on the gifts we give. We hope they'll like it. We hope it's what they wanted. We hope they don't already have it. Or maybe our hope rests on the gifts we will find in stockings and under trees. We hope we get it. We hope it was what was on our list the right size, the right color, the right model. We hope it is everything we wanted it to be. But the hope that Peter speaks to us about, the hope of this other Christmas story is a different kind of hope altogether. It is not something for which we can wait in line to buy. It is not something we can create or bake from scratch. This hope is born in us among us, through us. (laughs) On the face of it, it's hard to conceive the hope in this Christmas story that all the prophecies foretold from days of old that the sum total of human history should all hinge on a young girl saying yes to being a handmaiden of the Lord and a, a husband who will not say no and walk the other way seems a pretty unlikely scenario. If we scratch beneath the familiar surface of beautiful songs and warm images we've attached to this story, we can't help but notice at its core, this birth seems anything but hopeful. By its very nature, it's distressing. A peasant couple travels to Bethlehem to pay their taxes. As these two young, impoverished teenagers, far from being welcomed as part of the ruling class of Judea, arrive in town, they give birth to their firstborn son in the squalor of a cold, dark, damp barn. This child's first night's sleep on this earth 
comes by way of a feed box amidst the sounds and smells of farm animals. And all this happens with few taking notice, save a handful of blue-collar sheep herders and a couple of mysterious, wealthy Persian wise guys. As this new family is suddenly forced to flee their homeland and to exist as refugees in Egypt and thereby become the poster children for those oppressed by the might of Rome, this story doesn't seem that inspiring or encouraging. Where exactly is the hope in all this? It is, as Peter tells us, all of this, all of those wonderful things that make this story what it is, the angels' chorus, the shepherds out abiding in their fields, the shining of a star in a unique place at a preordained time, the magi who traversed across miles so to discover where that star would finally rest, none of it was happenstance. It was all part of God's plan and purpose, a promise made before the foundations of the world a grace foretold by the prophets of old, a gift for which, as Peter shares with us, even the angels long to look into. What makes no sense according to human logic and wisdom, what appears uneventful and insignificant by the standards of this world is the miracle workings of a miraculous God still reverberating more than 2,000 years later. But what is the specific nature of this hope revealed, born unto us this day through this child? It is, as Peter declares it to be, it is the revelation of the goodness of God. It is the good news of our salvation. Talk of goodness is not unfamiliar to us during this time of year. Out there is a Christmas centered on, as the song goes, being good for goodness sake. In that version of the Christmas story, it's all about us. All about us being good enough. All about us being labeled as naughty or nice. And being good for goodness sake sounds realistic enough. Unless we ask, good according to whom? Without the Lord's presence in our life and in our world, how do we know? How do we measure what is good enough? Left to ourselves, we all have our own ideas about what's acceptable and what's not, what deserves praise and what doesn't. How quickly one person may condemn what another person sees as for the greater good. How easily can our so-called good deeds become nothing more than a mask we hope will cover up our faults and failures. Beloved, there are two Christmases one Christmas story revolves around what we do. The other is about what God does. One story pretends the world suddenly stops being harsh, evil, and dark just because it's Christmas. But the real Christmas story is the deep, audacious, but ultimately life-giving truth that our God comes to us right in the midst of the darkest corners of our lives and living. God came to earth in Jesus Christ because he knew our own attempts at being good would never be good enough. Ancient history, as well as recent history, continue to prove God's judgment as right and true. 
Though our creator has given us laws to follow and obey, laws of nature, laws of morality, laws of love, we ignore or fail to keep them. We rewrite them without conscience or thought of consequence. Despite the hints and glimmers of goodness in our world, the march of centuries of progress, advancements in technology, improvements in systems and measures, as a people, we remain the same. Our application of justice is still imperfect. Our biases and our prejudices continue to fester and blind us. Oppression and violence persist as our go-to answers. And lasting peace eludes us still. But the real Christmas story promises us the birth of a living hope. A hope that rests not on whether we have been or ever will be good enough, but a hope that is born out of the goodness of God. Tonight, we are invited not to hope in something, but to hope in someone. The God who created us out of love and out of his commitment to that love in seeing us struggle came down to be with us, to struggle right alongside us, to struggle for us. Our hope is in the love and commitment of our God incarnated in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the one who took our eyes and ears, our hands and feet, our hunger, our tears, our joy, our laughter, our longing and our suffering, and grew from that tiny baby in the manger to become our friend, our teacher, our redeemer, our savior. Our hope is in the one who wasn't afraid to enter the mess of our lives, who isn't intimidated, who doesn't tiptoe around the weakness of our humanity, but lived a perfect life to show us the way and truth to be right with our creator and to be right with each other. Our hope is in the one who carries the burden of our pain and our sin as his own, who has faced the end result of a world hell-bent on punishment, on others getting what they deserve, but they're always being an exception an excuse, a reason why we shouldn't. Our hope is in the one who stood before his executioner, Pontius Pilate, and declared, for this reason I have been born, and then transformed the ultimate reflection of the judgment we bring upon ourselves, the very instrument of his own destruction, the cross, into the means and symbol of our redemption and salvation. Through the living and reigning Jesus Christ, ours is the inheritance of the hope of resurrection, a hope that comes to us when we are at our worst, a hope that will never truly die, a hope that will always rise again through the spirit of Christ who lives in us. We're all here tonight for very different reasons. Some of us are here tonight nursing the wounds of a broken relationship, the awkward silence, the long, agonizing spaces between the words that we can barely speak to a sibling, a parent, a child, a spouse, a friend. Others are here tonight wrestling with the burden of growing up and growing older as we watch the world move along, everything speeding up while we're just trying to keep slowing down. Or perhaps we're here tonight finding ourselves struggling to come home for the holidays. As we face a season of memories and traditions 
with an empty chair at our table. Whoever they are, however they parted from us, their absence is still acutely felt and leaves us aching. And more than a few people here tonight are themselves or through someone they love confronting an unexpected diagnosis, an unanticipated relapse, an ongoing condition or other complications that threatens to debilitate, to cripple, or to take life altogether. And of course, many of us sitting here tonight may be without a care in the world. All is well. Nothing to worry about. Life is holly and jolly. And that is good. But inevitably, eventually, we all confront the challenging nature, the imperfection and disappointment of this broken world. One day we take all the wrapping off and say, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? As people let us down, as circumstances change, as our expectations are not met. We've all been drawn here tonight for different reasons, yet regardless of who we are or where we've been, even though for a little while we may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, we can still greatly rejoice for what we all need, what we all long for, hope, has been given to us by God in Jesus Christ. Whether we come tonight as a seeker, a skeptic, a rebel, or a disciple, we have been given a living hope that even when the odds are against it, will not disappoint. We have been given a lasting hope that even when all possibilities appear to be exhausted, will not perish, will not spoil, will not fade. And so we may ask, how can I experience this hope? The assurance that God is with me and the answer to that question remains unchanged for more than 2,000 years. All we have to do, like Mary and Joseph, like the shepherds and the wise men, like Peter and the other disciples, is to look to the one who was born in Bethlehem. Listen and follow the one who goes beyond the manger to Calvary, beyond death to eternal life. My friends, hope is the gift of confidence, but living out of the hope we have in Jesus Christ is believing and trusting in the assurance of what we cannot see, of what we do not know. Jesus is always with us, through it all, no matter what occurs. But God doesn't always give us step-by-step -step instructions for following his will for our life. Think about it. Tonight, we acknowledge that God had a specific plan and purpose in the coming of Christ, but he didn't reveal all of it to Mary and Joseph. If God had told Mary and Joseph the exact conditions they would be bringing their child into, if they had known the full picture of what their son as the Messiah would have to face and do, they may have become overwhelmed by the adversity, their apprehension towards it all, rather than trusting and depending upon God. Our hope is in a God who will do the impossible through us. But beloved, the impossible is often beyond what our eyes can see, our ears can hear, our minds can grasp. We receive this living hope that is ours in Christ, not by buying into a plan, 
but by yielding to a purpose. If our hope depends on knowing everything, our hope is not in Jesus. Our hope is in ourselves, and we will fail before we even get started. In Christ, God is for us. His purpose through Jesus is to lead us, to teach us, to empower us to be more forgiving, more loving, more understanding, and more protective of the fragile gift of life that is ours and for those with whom we share it. If we pursue this purpose, if we pursue his purpose, if we follow Jesus, our hope will not be in vain. The impossible will become possible and his plan will become our plan. This living hope born unto us this day grows and matures as we lean on Christ, taking each step he puts before us and only later seeing how Jesus laid out the path we were on. My friends, we've labored long, waiting in lines, waiting through paper, ribbon, tinsel, and tape. We've sat on Santa's lap. We've watched elves on shelves. We've endured the rush of one Christmas story. Now let's stop and pause, breathe, and take in the other Christmas story. The story of the God who in Christ is truly in every way we can name our Emmanuel. God with us. God is with you. Whatever we're going through, we will not be abandoned. No matter how far we fall, we will always be lifted up. Even if we lose the battle, we will be vindicated. Regardless of all we've suffered, one day all we have lost will be found. Because God is with us. Not because we're good enough but because God is good and continues to birth the hope of Christ in every willing heart. Merry Christmas.